0: Well, good morning, everyone. How are we doing? And happy Independence Day weekend, right? So a lot to be excited about this weekend. I'm glad you guys are here. Uh, you guys could be like many others and you could be on the road traveling and, ha- and celebrating the weekend in various ways, but you guys are here. And we're very, very thankful for that. Um, and in honor of 4th Indi- uh, of July and Independence Day, I have chosen today, my wife is gonna shake her head at me and it's totally fine, but wore my favorite pair of dress socks, they're Top Gun. Top Gun dress socks. That's right. And not only that, but they are—they uh, have the name Goose written on them. <laughs> Why do they always take out the best characters in movies? Goose. I mean, come on, Tom Cruise. Jeez. Um, so anyway, but uh, it is an exciting weekend, and there's a lot for us to be um, thankful for within the Independence Day weekend and July 4th, as we've already alluded to in the service, right? Um, guys, we have liberties and freedoms here in the United States that many other countries don't have. And I'm thankful for this weekend because we're able to stop and we're able to reflect on those things. The freedoms that we actually do have and, 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 and in light of today's culture and society and media and all the above, we have a tendency to look at the negatives that are happening. All these things that are crashing down around us, to where we are not truly approaching the throne of, of God, the throne of grace with a thankful heart for the things that we do have. Let me explain this to you guys, and I, I'm not trying to get on a, a you know, soapbox or anything, but why are we so surprised by the way man is acting in today's society? It's been this way for generations upon generations. So instead of us looking at man and being disappointed in the decisions and the things or what are happening, we need to be looking towards God and we need to be praying for the the men who are making these decisions, men and women. And we need to be praying and praising God for the freedoms that we do have because we are not promised these freedoms. Y'all feeling me on that? So as we wake up every day, may we truly praise God for the opportunities that we have. Guys, we have freedom of religion. We have freedom of speech. Some of y'all may think that we don't. Who cares about Facebook? Okay, we have freedom of speech. We have these things at our disposal and it's a beautiful thing. We need to be very thankful for them. It's all because we live in in a nation that values and safeguards these things. And so while we have them, may we be thankful for them, right? However, this is where I wanna, Pivot a little bit. Though these things are great and though these things are blessings to us, these freedoms of which I'm talking about are contingent upon man. We create laws. We create these different things in our culture that allow us to have these freedoms. But let me tell you about a guy who has given us true freedom that will never be taken away. His name is Jesus. May we never forget that. Our freedoms can be stripped away from us tomorrow, but guess what? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So why do we submit to a yoke of slavery in which is contingent upon man? Church, we need to wake up and understand that. And I'm not speaking at you guys, I'm just speaking from my heart towards the, the, the American church and the, and, the, and the national church and the church worldwide. This is just a, 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 church, a worldwide church thing that we need to understand but it starts right here in the local church. We have to have that mindset and that heart to move forward to encourage our other local churches to do the same thing, to not cause divisions or or strife or anything like that, but rather be unified in the gospel of peace so that we could live humble lives that are honoring and pleasing to the Lord. Okay, I'm done with my soapbox, okay. But I do want to read for you guys this morning that will ultimately set the pace or the stage for us for the remainder of our time out of Luke chapter nine. So if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter nine. We're gonna be reading verses 28 through 36. Now, many of you guys know we've been going, we've been doing a book study through the, the book of Luke, right, we've been taking a chapter by chapter and the idea is to pull out uh, different things that the Lord has been pressing our hearts for us to study, right? And so what I want to do today though, is look at this particular passage that is extremely powerful. It's probably one of the most powerful uh, glimpses in the New Testament that we see of our Messiah, Jesus. Um, and I'm not gonna do the due diligence that it deserves this morning. So I pray that as, as we move forward, that you guys truly intently study this passage because chapter nine of Luke is full of incredible uh, uh, interactions and events uh, uh, between Jesus and the Jews, and Jesus and his disciples. Um, But one passage, one verse passage in particular I want us to look at is verses 28 through 29, and that is the transfiguration. You know, we've been talking about how it's in Jesus that we have freedom, And Jesus, we've been set free from the bondages of sin and death. And this passage right here, up to this point in Luke, we've seen an earthly Jesus, you know, because Jesus is fully God, but he's fully man. We've seen him in his ministry. But now we see the unveiling of the majesty and glory of Jesus here in this passage. So let's read this together. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. Oh, Peter and his sleeping. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, "'Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah.' Not knowing what he said, and as he was saying these things, a cloud came over and shadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud, saying, "This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him." And the voice, uh, and when the voice had spoken, Jesus found was found alone. And they kept silent and told him no, or they kept silent and told no one in those days anything what they had seen. Will you guys pray with me? Lord God, we just come before you and we just acknowledge that you're the King of Kings and that you're the Lord of Lords. You're the author and perfecter of our faith. Um, and Lord, everything that is set in place has been put in place by your sovereignty. And Lord, we are so thankful for that. You are not surprised by our actions. You're not surprised by the, uh, the current situation that we are facing as a nation or as a worldwide situation, Lord. Um, Lord, you're not surprised by the conflict going on over there between Russia and Ukraine or anything like that. But Lord, you are sovereignly aware and in control of these situations for for your good purpose and good pleasure, Lord. May we cling to that. But Lord, as we go through the service today, Lord, I pray that we will just get a glimpse into your majesty and your glory and how you truly are the matchless one in our life. There is no one greater than you. And I pray that if there's anyone here who is questioning this idea of who you are and how good you are, that today, Father, that you will take the veil away from their eyes and their heart and that you will truly uh, show yourself to them. God, bring life back into us. Bring joy and excitement back into your church, and into your people. And may we live on fire for you because there's no one greater than you to live for. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I wanted to read this passage to you guys so to set the tone for what today is about. Um, As we read through this passage, you saw a picture of Jesus becoming uh, transfigured and his appearance changing before the eyes of Peter, James, and John in such a way that no other man had ever seen. We saw his glory on display to the fullest extent. Jesus is the matchless one. And I say that he's the matchless one because that word matchless and that phrase matchless one was the theme that which we uh, got to walk through while we were in Jackson, Tennessee at Centrifuge uh, a few weeks back when we went to summer camp. And what I would love for us to do today is uh, is for us to do a quick recap of what this looks like for us because it was such a powerful week for us, even for myself. And I cannot speak for all that were there, but... I'm pretty sure that week was powerful for all of us because we, saw, we got to see Jesus in a whole new light when it comes to his glory and to his majesty and how he truly is the matchless one in our life. But just to, uh, to set the pace, I'm gonna go ahead and I'm just gonna ask Josh, there's a video that we put together, a presentation uh, of our time there at Centrifuge this week. And so I will let you guys watch it.
1: Church family. Um, I just want to start this off by saying a big thank you to everybody who prayed for us and who graciously donated for us to go to camp. Um, we know that, that would not have been possible without the Lord's faithfulness in leading you all to donate. I would say one of the biggest things that I walked away with was how far I was pushed out of my comfort zone. Um, I spent very little time with our whole church group and instead spent most of my day with 30 kids from other states, so I had no idea who they were. Um, and so that was just a sweet reminder from the Lord, of especially as I walk into this next season of Ending my high school um, years and going into college, um, no matter where I am, I know I'm not going to be surrounded daily by my church community, my Columbus community, and that can be a really scary thought. So knowing that when the Lord's on my side, um, I can find my true comfort in Him, and He will provide me with the community that I need. Another thing I would say I learned a lot was about matchless risk. We talked about matchless risk. And how much we're willing to risk has everything to do with how much we believe, um, how much we surrender to Jesus, and our willingness to risk is tied into what we believe about Jesus. And so, if I'm holding back these parts of my life, but surrendering this part of my life, what do I really believe about Jesus? I believe that He doesn't hold my whole life, His whole my whole life in His hands. If I'm holding back from surrendering things to Him, and so I think that was just a sweet reminder, of being like, No, I've given my whole life to the Lord, and therefore I can surrender everything, knowing that He will lead and he will protect me and care for me when i give him everything and so i think that was a big one of the biggest things i walked away with was just knowing that i can surrender everything to the lord knowing that he cares and he weeps with me and he will lead me through because ultimately no suffering is in vain Um, the lord has a perfect plan for every season of my life that i walk through
2: is rising up within us Family. This is the West Falls, so and we're going
3: to tell you about our experience at the Jackson Tennessee
2: Youth Camp we went to. Uh, I personally liked how the, the camp brought you outside your own church group, and it allowed you to meet a lot of new people around you. that was at the same camp.
3: I personally liked the worship. The band was really great, and the, pa- the pastor explained the passages very
1: clearly. <laughs> My favorite part of camp was the teamwork you aspect and everything you did. Uh, specific football. We had a lot of supplemental like ball. And just everything we did, we had a good time. So
2: you are worthy
1: of your day.
0: Well, that was just a glimpse of what we got to do there at Union uh, with Centrifuge. And obviously that was all the fun parts of, of Union. And uh, just so you know, I, I don't rap like that every day. Okay, so just um, that, was, that was a lot of fun, though. Um, and then also, by the way, so Olivia Garmo and the West Falls, they could not be here this morning because they're in Colorado. And so those were not like backdrops. That's where they are. Uh, which is absolutely incredible. Um, But I hope that even what they got to say though in in these videos gave you a glimpse of what we looked at while we were there. Um, It was an extremely powerful week uh, with regards to how we see Jesus as the matchless one of our life. But I don't want the testimonies to stop there. I'm actually gonna invite two more students to come up and they're gonna share their own personal experience from their time at uh, Centrifuge as well. So I'm gonna ask Presley Stockman and Cedric Fitzgerald, they'll come up and join me here on the stage so that way they can share with the Lord. Yeah, give them a hand. It's not easy getting up in front of you guys. No, I'm just kidding. So anyway, I want to turn it over to Presley.
3: Hi guys, um, I'm Presley. A lot of you know me, but um, this year I got to go to huge camps, which is a really cool experience. Um, I've been to student life camp a lot. I've been part of the youth group since I was in sixth grade. So I've been to camp before, but I have to say this was different. Um, one of the things that really stood out to me, and you heard it, um, Olivia and the West Falls both said it too, is that we were put out of our comfort zone. We got there on the first day and they put us in these Bible studies with 30 other people who all, but if you, like you might have gotten one person from your church, but other than that, these were people from all different churches, from all different states and cities and towns, you know, different backgrounds. And so you just got to meet all kinds of people that complete strangers on the first day, um, which actually I thought was really cool. Like at first, maybe a little scary, (laughs) but it actually turned out to be really cool. So something about that that I thought was cool is just like, I got to see what the body of Christ looks like outside of this church in this town. Um, Because coming here every week, it's great, but you see the same people over and over. And in there's kind of this idea that gets drilled in your minds, like, okay, this is, this is what the body of Christ looks like. But it's like going there and seeing, meeting these people from Tennessee and Mississippi and Florida, I got to see so much more of the diversity of the body of Christ and just God calls all kinds of people and the gospel is for everyone. So in order for it to be for everyone, it takes all kinds of people to share it with all kinds of people. So I just thought that was really cool to see just that there was all these different unique people that God created and he created us all unique as much as he calls us to be like Jesus, but he also created us unique to be ourselves. Um, So I just really enjoyed like seeing that and meeting people and getting out of my comfort zone. Um, On a separate note, something separate, but um, the pastor this week or the week at Fuge Camps, his name was Aaron. And um, one of the things that he said was that god wants you to cry out to him um, and i thought that was really cool he was talking about uh, for some context he was talking about when jesus was on the cross and he cried out to god he said my god my god why have you forsaken me and um so aaron talked about how in our moments of fear or doubt or anxiety i think we have the tendency to hide that from god um, especially if it's like a sin struggle like, we just want to deal with it on our own and just keep God out of it. But something that Aaron said was that, that he wants us to cry out, cry out to him. Like, in those moments, more than ever, that's when we need him, and that's when we need to lean on him and cry out and say, God, I'm not okay, I'm not perfect, and I'm making mistakes, and I'm, I'm anxious, or I'm worried, or whatever. And so I just thought that was really cool. Um, thank you. Thank yeah. you.
2: Hey, hey, um, good morning. Uh, so uh, Aaron, I had lunch with Aaron the day after. I asked him about weeping to God, you know. He said, you can pray to God about anything, being happy, being mad, being sad, you know, pray. Um, so first off, you can ask anybody that went with us. It was definitely pretty scary being in a group full of people you don't know. I had Morgan and Jacob. I was fine. Uh, so... My favorite day was day three, which was matchless obedience, which obedience. All right. So it was about how Abraham left his family, everything. He had no kids. He was just old. You know, Abraham left everything to follow God. And we were asked in Bible study, if, are, are you willing to leave everything you have behind right now? Family feud, TV, games, everything. Are you willing to drop all that to follow God? Some of y'all might be thinking, yes. But like, really think about it. Are you really willing to drop everything you love right now? Your dogs, your pets, everything to follow God. That, that stuck out to me. Nah, I love that. Um, another thing was day four, Matt's risk. Esther took the risk for her people, the Jews, to, talk to, uh, to become queen and talk to the king. It was just like amazing that she risked, up, risked it all. And in Bible study, I found it very, I talked with my Bible study leader about it. I found it very nice that she was like, are you willing to risk getting, like standing in front of people right now? Are you willing to risk standing in front of people? Are you willing to risk those people? Like, hey, what are you doing up? Like, are you willing to do all that? Are you willing to risk that? Like, are you willing to risk getting embarrassed as some people would say, but like, I don't know. It was just, it was a great camp, you know? Um, Aaron really could preach the, uh, the choir or what do we call it, the band, the band could sing. They could sing. And then, you know, they had a lot of games, a lot of team building. Like, I don't know. Like, even if you lost some of your games that you did at the end of the week, like, you still felt good because you knew everybody there. Like, you could talk to anybody. Like, walk up. Hey, how you doing? Like, everybody was so nice. That's that's why I got with
0: There you go. Man, Presley and Cedric, y'all. Come on. That's awesome. Yeah, so, I mean, as you can tell, just from hearing from these two students, there was a lot that was learned. There was a lot that was gained and experienced there at camp. And at the end of the day, though, what I want us to come back to for the rest of our time is this, is that Jesus is worthy of all those things in which they just hit on. He's worthy of our obedience. He's worthy of our forgiveness. He's worthy of, when I say of our forgiveness, I'll hit on that here in just a second. Um, he's worthy of the risk of following him and of, um, of the sacrifices that we make in life to follow him. And it's only the only reason why he's worthy of this is because he himself demonstrated these things for us. So it's out of the overflow of the love in which we have for Jesus and his great sacrifice and his great obedience and his great forgiveness and risk that we are able to do these things back. It's not in our own power. It's all by the power of Jesus within us through the Holy Spirit. And so that's what I want to do for the rest of our time. I want us to look at what Presley and Cedric referred to and how Um, there's these four key components that we looked at, these sub-themes for the week. And we looked at Old Testament figures and the narrative that they played and how that foreshadowed the coming of Jesus and foreshadowed the the fulfillment of each of those components through the life of Jesus. And so the first one though was matchless sacrifice. And we saw that uh, they, they compared Jesus with Isaac. Isaac, we all know the narrative of Isaac, right? Abraham waited a long time to have a son that was from his wife, Sarah, right? Sarah was barren for a long time. They finally had him, he was 100 years old and he was wondering, God, why? At 100 years old. So he finally gets them and he cherishes Isaac. And then God sees the love of which he has for his son. And he realizes that yes, Abraham is faithful and he is obedient. He has followed me through to this point, even though yes, he definitely had his mistakes, right? But he loves his son. And so God says, all right, Abraham, if you love me, I want you to go and I want you to sacrifice your son for me. Your one and only son whom you love. The thing in which you love most in this life, I want you to go and sacrifice it for me to follow and to show me your obedience. And we know how it plays out. Abraham is, he's struggling with this idea of like, okay, Lord, like I've waited so long. You've promised me that through my lineage that you will allow the, your, 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 your promises to be fulfilled. And yet here he is, Isaac, whom he's supposed to be fulfilled through. And you want me to go and sacrifice him? Are you kidding me? Like all of this, and so, but Abraham does what he does best, and he remains obedient, and remains faithful to God. And he goes, and he sacrifices. He, he prepares to sacrifice for his or to prepares to sacrifice his son Isaac. And rise right he would bound him up, and was laying him on the, the wood. Then an angel appeared. Right as he was fixing to strike Isaac, and an angel appeared to say, "Whoa!" Hold on there, Abraham, your faithfulness and your obedience has proven. He's like, look over there, there's a ram, go get it. And in that moment, God's divine intervention, he sees the faithful obedience and the sacrifice which Abraham was willing to give through his son, Isaac. And he says, that's enough, I want you to go take that ram, I want you to sacrifice that ram. So the life of Isaac was spared. And what we see in this narrative is the foreshadowing of a life that was not spared, who was the perfect sacrifice, in the name, and his name is Jesus. And we ultimately see that in Mark chapter 15 where with, the, with the crucifixion and how Jesus would ultimately come and he would live a sinless, perfect life. And he would walk in faithful obedience to the Father to the point to where he would even follow him to the point of death on a cross. And during that time, that was the most, um, that was the most uh, painful and most uh, humiliating death that the Romans could have given to anybody. And Jesus took it. And we ultimately see though, as Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane, he has an Abraham moment where he is praying to God. He says, God, if it, is, if it is at all possible, let this cup pass from me. But the difference between Jesus and Isaac is that it had to be fulfilled. Jesus had to go. He had to die on the cross and he had to become the perfect sacrifice for every single one of us. He was matchless in his sacrifice. No one can compare to it. It doesn't matter how much you sacrifice in this life or how much someone sacrifices their life for you. Even if they literally give their life for you, there is no sacrifice in this earth, in this world that is greater than the sacrifice which Jesus gave for us that day on the cross. The son of man came down into the world, took on flesh, died for you and for me so that way we could ultimately have life. There's no greater sacrifice than that. And we see over and over, I mean, Isaac's not the only example that we see in the Old Testament and in the New Testament of of men and women who gave sacrifices to God. I mean, there was a whole Levitical law that was built upon this idea of sacrifice, where they had to go and they had to sacrifice annually, repeatedly, animals to atone for sins and different reasons. But when Jesus died on the cross that day, he said, enough is enough, no more killing of these animals. That isn't like some animal rights activist movement, I promise, okay, but he said, enough's enough. There's no more need for sacrifice because my sacrifice is sufficient for all things, for all time, for evermore into eternity. It's sufficient enough for me, it's sufficient enough for you and for all mankind. How beautiful is that? So, if anyone is worthy to be followed, it is Jesus, just by his sacrifice alone. But it doesn't stop there. We went on to the next day and we looked at matchless forgiveness. And we see that as a result of the sacrifice, the sacrifice was the bridgeway to the door that opened up the door for forgiveness. You see the sacrifice that Jesus gave for us it not only just uh, was a sacrifice to take away our sin, but rather it was a sign of act of obedience and forgiveness of sin. And it led the way for us to be able to follow in his footsteps to be able to forgive. I don't know about you guys, but forgiveness is probably one of the hardest things in this life for us to do. We like to hold things in our hearts. We we love to hold things and hold bitterness towards people. But Jesus commands us to lay down our life and to follow him, and and and, and following him means that we need to learn to forgive. But we see this in the life of Joseph, when you go back to Genesis chapter 37 and 39 and 41 and 53 and you see the life of joseph many of us know this narrative as well It's a very common narrative that we hear in our culture Joseph who was the one favorite and the youngest son of of, um, Jacob at the time Let me make sure I got that right yes Uh, Of jacob who came from his favorite wife Rachel the one who was barren the one who could not have kids So at this point, Abraham had several different sons through his other wife, Leah, and then he finally has a son, Joseph, through his favorite wife, Sarah, or through his favorite wife, Rachel. Sorry, man, all these characters get kind of mixed up. Is anybody else like that? But all I say, he has his youngest and favorite son, and they show favoritism towards him. And what does that result in? Bitterness and frustration towards Joseph from the other brothers. And as a result of that, his brothers, they conspire against Joseph and they want to actually kill him. They want to murder him. But one of the brothers, Judah, he says, no, 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 it's not, be- it's not good for us to kill him. Why- we might as well get something out of him while we have him. So what do they do? Instead of killing him, they sold him into slavery, which they didn't get a whole lot for him, which is kind of a slap in the face towards Joseph. But... They sell him into slavery and he goes to Egypt. And as it, when he gets into Egypt, he gets sold to a guy named Potiphar. He goes into Potiphar's house and the Lord is with Joseph all the way through. And so he goes into Potiphar's house. He works his way up in the ranking, rankings at Potiphar's house. He finally reaches a pinnacle there. And then he gets uh, caught in a situation with Potiphar's wife and he's ultimately brought back down to the lowest of lows and he is uh, thrown into prison. But God again is with Joseph and he shows him favor and he says, Hey, I'm gonna have I'm gonna let the, the the prison guard show favor towards you, and he becomes second in command essentially in the prison. Until finally he has his moment to go before Pharaoh and to prove what God is doing with him and through him. And then as a result of him interpreting Pharaoh's dream, what happens? He becomes the second highest in command of all of Egypt. Talk about a life-changing experience, being sold into slavery, being thrown in prison to where now you're the second highest in command of all of Egypt. All the while in the back of his head, he has this memory of his brothers selling him into slavery. He could have easily held that against him for the rest of his life. He could have easily in that moment as being second highest in command, striking his brothers down. But what we see in the narrative as it continues is that there's a great famine in the land and his brothers and his family come and they uh, get food from Joseph and, and from the land of Egypt. And he sees them and he recognizes them. And what happens? Does he go after them with anger? No, he has great compassion and he is overflowing with different emotions about how his brothers mistreated him. But yet he sees them and he loves them so much that out of his great love for his brothers, he ultimately forgives them. There's a little bit more that ties into that and how that forgiveness came about, but eventually what happens? Joseph reaches out to him and he brings the entire family from the land of Canaan into the land of Egypt. It's a beautiful picture of forgiveness, one that we all should emulate at all times. But let me tell you something, the forgiveness in which we've been given by Jesus is far greater than that in which Joseph demonstrated for his brothers. When Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins, he literally said, hey, I'm dying for your sin. I'm casting as far as east is from the west. I don't care how bad of a sin you think you've committed. Your sin is forgiven. I am not holding it against you any longer. My blood covers your sin. It is the atoning sacrifice for you as long as you confess and believe in me and you surrender all to me. You are forgiven. It is no longer part of who you are. You have a new identity in Christ. You are no longer who you once were, but now you are who I made you to be. Amen? Amen. So matchless forgiveness was the second thing. The third thing was matchless obedience. And Cedric, my friend here, he referred to this. And we saw that we went back, to Genesis chapter 12 with the call of Abraham, or the call of Abram, right? And how God called Abram, and Abram was like, dude, are you sure you know who you're calling? And God says, I know exactly who I'm calling. And as Cedric referred to you, in that moment, Abraham, or Abram said, all right, I'm going to follow you. And we see through the rest of that narrative from Genesis chapter 12 to chapter 15, that Abram remained faithful and he was obedient. Sure, he made his mistakes. I mean, he essentially called his wife his sister. That's kind of unfortunate. But at the same time, no matter what, through the thick and thin, Abram was faithful. And because of that, God instituted a covenant with him. And it changed his name from Abram to Abraham to the father of many. And through Abraham, he promised God promised that he would, create a, a, he would create a great nation and his descendants would multiply greatly, which would ultimately lead up to his son Isaac, right? But through, the, through his call, he remained obedient. That's a great uh, uh, illustration. That's a great testimony for us to follow God in obedience because when faithful was obedient, or when Abraham was faithful and obedient, God was faithful and, and back to Abraham. And that's the, that's the pleasure that we get to have in this relationship. When we are faithful to God, God is faithful to us and he will give us everything that we need. But we ultimately see this played out though in the life of Jesus. When you jump ahead to Luke chapter four, with the temptation of Jesus, when Jesus is about to begin his ministry, he is, after his baptism, he is whisked away into the desert where he is tempted and in that moment when he's being tempted by Satan himself, Jesus could have easily turned away from the Father. Jesus could have easily said, you know what? Satan, you're tempting me and you're, you're saying, hey, if I'm staying on top of this building, you want me to jump off, my angels would catch me. All right, well, let me prove it to you. He could easily jump off and, and give in to the temptation of Satan, but he doesn't. But what do we find Jesus doing? He's remaining faithful to the Father and he's actually remaining not only faithful to the Father, but to the truth, the word itself. And he uses the word against Satan and he overcomes the temptation. He is obedient to following the father's commands in his life. What are the two greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and to love the neighbor as thyself. Jesus fulfilled those things in this moment. And we ultimately see in the life of Jesus as it is played out, that he remains faithful and obedient in every aspect of his life. I tell you this much, if I was Jesus and I was interacting with many of those Jewish people, I would have been like James and John. I would have cast down fire and lightning. I would have consumed them bad boys. But Jesus didn't. He remained faithful and obedient to the Father because he knew that his, his command, which was placed on his life, was to go and to die for the sins of those who were walking in their sin, which is all of us. So Jesus paints a picture of us of true matchless obedience in which we are all called to follow after. Now, I'm going to be the first one to stand up here and tell you that I don't follow God in full obedience every single day of my life. I wish I did. I'm a broken, sinful man. Praise God for his great grace. Amen but that doesn't mean that I can use it as an excuse and not following an obedience and not pushing myself and not following and not implementing the spiritual disciplines in my life to where I can then set myself before the throne of grace and allow God to use me, use all of us. I am myself, Victor, the staff. We are no greater than the rest of you. We are all called sons and daughters to the most high God. We are all on the same level. None of us are greater than another. We all have the same ability. And what's your best ability, Ron? Availability. That's right. Availability. So we must follow in Jesus' example of obedience. The last thing that we looked at, though, was matchless risk. And this is a a challenging one. And the narrative in which they went back to in the Old Testament was out of Esther, as Cedric alluded to. You know, which is actually really interesting because the entire book of Esther, it's a book that doesn't even mention God whatsoever, but yet is saturated with God's providential care and his faithfulness to his people through the life of Esther and her cousin Mordecai. And as you guys know this narrative, the narrative opens up with uh, King Artaxerxes, he's having this great feast that's lasting a long time, and as a result of it, he himself kind of gets, uh, you know, he's, he feels his wine. If you know what I mean, and he calls his queen Vashti out, and he wants her, he, and he wants her to come and parade herself in front of his entire uh, congregation of people. And what does Vashti do? She says, "No, I ain't doing that." And as a result. King Aragxerxes bans Vashti from ever being seen again in his presence, which brings about the whole, uh, as you will, it was almost like they had, they, okay, King Aragxerxes went out and he called all the young females, all the young, beautiful females into, this, into his uh, courts. And he began looking at them and he was like, man, this one's beautiful. And it just happened to be Esther. And Esther, uh, under the command of Mordecai, uh, does not reveal who she is in the sense of where she comes from and who her people are because of the risk of, of potentially losing the influence and, and of, of not being found pleasurable in his eyes, right? And so, but Artaxerxes chooses Esther and as the narrative continues, there is this, this dynamic of, of Mordecai and another guy who is one of the high officials and there's some tension there. And and, uh, Esther in that moment could have easily sat in the back seat and not said anything. But what we learn is that she actually stepped up and intervened on behalf. She took the risk and intervened on behalf of her people and her cousin Mordecai. And it turned out to be in her favor. And we see God's providential care all throughout that narrative. If you have not read the book of Esther, I'll confess, I actually had to go back and reread it because it's been a while. But highly encourage you to go read it and study it. It's a beautiful narrative. But all that to say though, is that she was willing to take the risk for her people and for her God. And God blessed her and provided for her and her people and protected them. And in the same way, Jesus demonstrates this all the risk in which he was able to take. And you see in Luke chapter four, verses 31 through 36, and ultimately in Luke 19, 45 through 48, these are the two narratives that we saw that we zoomed in on as a Bible study. And these were when Jesus chose to heal the demon-possessed man in the temple. And then ultimately later on, when Jesus would go into the temple and cleanse it of all the money changers. You see, Jesus was not somebody who was afraid of taking risks. Every day he woke up and went out and did, and did ministry. He took great risks. You want to know why? Because the risk, the thing of which he was living for was worth the risk. The Father, our God in heaven, the creator of all the universe, who created you and I intricately and wonderfully, who knew us before we were ever made, is worth the risk. He's worth living for. There's no one who can compare to him. Oh yeah, did I also forget to mention that Jesus also sacrificed himself for us to prove that he loves us, even though he didn't have to prove anything? Why are we afraid to live our life for someone who gave everything for us? You see, this world and all the things in it, they're appealing. We, we, we love to be a part of it. That's that age old battle of the flesh versus the spirit. We love to be of the world and everything in it. And we are so tempted by it, but this world passes away everybody. This world is temporary. I know our finite minds cannot comprehend the full, what that, that statement fully means but there will be a day where our life will end. This world will pass away and there will be an eternal kingdom established forevermore. And we will stand before the presence of a holy and righteous God. And we will have to answer for every sin and everything we've ever done in this life. The question is, is how do you want to go stand in that presence? Do you wanna go stand as an enemy or do you wanna go stand as a chosen son and daughter of the most high God through the atoning blood of Jesus, his son? I don't know about you all, but that seems like a pretty simple uh, answer to me. But I know that there's people in the room today who are hurting, and they've been hurt, whether it's by the church or by a fellow believer who claims to be a follower of Jesus. They've been hurt by them personally, or they've been hurt by other things in this world. Well, guess what? This world is broken, people. It's going to continue to hurt you. It's full of evil. But Jesus, the matchless one, wants to meet you where you are today. He wants to take away all that anger and all that bitterness, all that frustration, all that hurt. And he wants to lay it on his shoulders so that way you can experience the true freedom in which he brings into this life. Through his life, his death, and his resurrection. That's what Jesus wants to offer every single one of us. If you're in this room and you are struggling, please, I plead with you today that you will come and talk to myself, Victor, anybody in this room who is a believer in Jesus so that we we can walk with you through this process uh, so that you can experience true grace and true freedom in Christ. It's the greatest thing you'll ever experience. Surprise, surprise, I'm over time. I do wanna end with this though. If you guys want to turn with me to Revelation chapter 5. Oh boy, Josh is turning to the book of Revelation. I just want to read to you guys Revelation chapter 5 to give you one final glimpse into who this matchless one is. Y'all ready? Verse 1, it says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who is seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly. This is John because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold. Sorry. The lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David has conquered. <sighs> Can't see. So that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though had been slain. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation, you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders The voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is within them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. What a picture. Jesus. (laughs) He is that slain lamb. But yet, he is that roaring lion. If there is anything in this life worth walking in great sacrifice and obedience, forgiveness, and risk for, and that's just four of the components, there's so much more. It is Jesus. He is worth following after. And I pray that if anyone is here today and you are on the brink of whether or not you should choose to follow him or not, I pray that you'll come talk to us. Yeah, if you're part of the worship team, go ahead come on up. But I'm going to offer this invitation. I'm going to be down front. Victor will be here. Please come talk to us, pray with us. We'd love to pray with you. But I'm so thankful, church. I want you guys to hear this. I'm so thankful for the way that you blessed our, ministry, our student ministry to allow us to go to union, to centrifuge. Without your gifts, without your support, we, our eyes would not have been opened to the truths in which we just talked about. our students got to experience this head-on, full-on the entire week. I encourage you to, to talk to them about their experience. Talk to our leaders who went on the trip, Stephen Tides, Rick Restivo, uh, Wyatt Stavanoa, if he's ever around. Uh, you can talk to Mary or Julie Mick, Mary Straw or Julie Mick, even Donna Dishman. I didn't miss anybody, did I? Okay, good. But talk to us. We would love to tell you more about the experience. But ultimately, though, may we never forget who we should truly live for in this life, the matchless one. That's Jesus. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we just come before you with humble, humble hearts. Also with great thanksgiving, because you truly are the matchless one. The land that was slain for us but yet the roaring lion who defends us and intercedes on our behalf, who is worthy of opening the scroll. And God, I pray that as we take each day in this life as believers, that we will truly give you the praise that you deserve, that we will live a life that is honoring and glorifying to you, that is one of great sacrifice, one of great obedience, forgiveness, and risk. Lord, may we never take our eyes off of the end goal, and that is the upward call in Christ Jesus. But Lord, I do pray, though, that if there's anyone here in this room today who needs to surrender their life to you, God, that today will be that day. That they will not delay, but rather that they will truly surrender it now. Because It's not even just more about, it's it's, it's so much more than just uh, security and salvation, security and eternity. But God, it's about the freedoms and the peace that we are able to experience in this life now. We don't have to wait to experience heaven. We can experience it now through you. So, Lord, please penetrate the hearts of those in this room today who need to surrender their life to you. May God continue to break us of our sinfulness. May we truly strive to be holy and godly all the days of our life. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas.